this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and today we are here to study with you in... Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle as you get the scripture out. (laughs) (laughs) In, we don't even know what we're studying. (laughs) In Doctrine and Covenants section 2 and Joseph Smith history, verses 27 through 65. This is, um, last week was of course the first part of the Joseph Smith story, the really well-known part. Uh, This is the second part of his story. He meets Moroni, he uh, gets the plates and really begins his work as prophet and there's some really great principles that we can draw from us that we'll get into, um, but I've had a I've had a blast studying this this week and um, have been really touched by how relevant it's been for me and I I hope that's what comes across as we discuss this together. So um, I wanted to share though a quick quote to that ties into what we've studied the last two weeks that I found as I was studying. Um, a, a conference talk this week from President Monson years ago. Uh, this quote seems so fitting. Um, on this night that we're recording, um, they're, they're, they're certifying the results of the election in Congress. And of course, um, <laughs> even though it's 2021, it feels like a very 2020 thing that there's riots and there's chaos and there's uh, contention and uh, we both, as we kind of follow the news um, a little bit, we're just kind of disheartened um, and scared even a little bit. I'm sure everyone is. Yeah. I think that's why I was, because I thought, this is 2021. Yeah, we're done with that. That's so <laughs> last done. year. That was so last year. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this quote all week long, but it seems especially relevant today. And so, uh, again, this is many years ago, but President Monson said, The restoration of the gospel dispels the gloom described in our time by the noted educator Robert Gordon Sproul. He had looked at Churches of America and declared, We have the peculiar spectacle of a nation which, to some imperfect but nevertheless considerable extent, practices Christianity without actively believing in Christianity. The way out is the sound of a voice. Not our voice, but a voice coming from something not ourselves, in the existence of which we cannot disbelieve. We have the earthly task to hear this voice, and if we don't, we are no more capable of saving the world than we were capable of creating it in the first place. I like that quote for a couple of reasons. One, I I like that we have a mission... um, to save the world, as dramatic as that sounds. And, and we're going to focus more on that as we study this, um, this block of Scripture today. But I like that as, as much push as there is today to change things, there is a right way to change things. There is the Lord's way to change things. And without His voice and without His direction, the changes that we pursue might not be lasting uh, they might not work or be effective, uh, and they might even backfire. And so I love that there's a work for us to do, changes to push for, uh, but I also love that there's a voice issuing from heaven 
Um, it came to Joseph Smith in 1820, and it's coming to us today that's guiding us to make those changes and make that difference. I think that quote kind of encapsulates all that we've been learning over the past few weeks. And today, although we didn't mean it to necessarily be a part three, but I guess it's the Joseph Smith story and the beginning of a lot of things, so it flows pretty naturally. If the first week we talked about hearing God's voice, last week was about how to learn and how to seek God in those ways. And this week is really that part that I think pulls those two together. And we're going to talk this week about what our mission is and how hearing him, learning from him helps us understand better who we are and what our personal mission is, just like Joseph did in these in these verses that we're studying this week. Yeah, um, it's a pretty powerful pattern that we followed so far. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard his voice. Last week, we learned that his voice actually comes from him. And this week, that voice puts us to work. Um, many years ago, um, President Kimball, Spencer W. Kimball, was sustained as president of the church. And it was somewhat surprising. Um, president Lee had passed away after a very short time as president of the church, and he was in his 70s. President Kimball's health was always um, somewhat questionable. He, he struggled with health his whole life. And so when he's put in, I, there were some concerns and news reports at the time that uh, if he would be fit for for the mantle and for the responsibilities that came as president of the church. Of course, he absolutely was. Right after the solemn assembly where he was sustained, this is what he said. With our hands to the plow, looking forward, with our eyes to the light, looking upward, we enter into our father's business with fear and trembling and love. Um, there was an interesting story um, told a, I think, a conference or two before that from Marion G. Romney that uh, kind of illustrates that point anecdotally. Uh, he said this, Recently, my secretary put on my desk an article which reported an experiment carried on by the National Institute of Mental Health. A tiny Eden for mice was built. In it was placed everything that could be included in a mouse's dream of paradise. Food, housing, supplies, everything was there in abundance. In it were placed four pair of mice. There was room for 4,000 mice. Every 55 days, the population doubled. But when there were a little over 600 mice, things began happening. Not only did the population fall off, but big problems arose in the mouse society. The mice were becoming lazy. Many appeared greatly distressed, some utterly frustrated. Their behavior became quite unpredictable. The making of nests dropped off. Some of the mice began to eat each other. The planned mouse population never did climb to 4,000. They had reached slightly more than half that figure when reproduction came to a complete halt. The mouse society turned into an emotional mob. Then he just concludes, Give men everything they ask for while making no demands on their own efforts, and they will deteriorate into an unfit mob. Um... Now, that came before that statement by President Kimball, but President Kimball's presidency uh, was marked by a period of work. That hand of the plow push forward was um, a hallmark of what he taught and what he exemplified himself. What I love about our study this week is that when Moroni shows up to Joseph Smith, 
his emphasis to the prophet. Remember, he shows up three times in Joseph's bedroom. Then he shows up a fourth time the next morning, repeating the message, the same message each time and adding just a little bit to it. And then he also tutors the prophet every time he shows up at the hill Cumorah to check on the plates and eventually to retrieve the plates. And you can imagine that some of the same tutoring was there as well. But I love that Moroni's message to Joseph was, as it says in verse 33, God has a work for you to do. And what we want to study this episode, what we want to invite you to study as you uh, search the scriptures, is this question. What is the work the Lord has for me? Now, as we've done in the past couple of episodes, that question is for you. And it's one that hopefully is inspired to the point where as you study the scriptures, as you ponder, thoughts and feelings and impressions will come to you. But what we want to do is give a couple of uh, perspectives, ideas, and even testimonies from us that might help that question come alive and make sense in a way that your study this week, your pondering and your experience um, can yield for you some of the same power and experience that came to the prophet Joseph Smith as he wrestled with the same question himself. Well, first off, something I've always loved about the Joseph Smith story, and we talked about this last week as well, but when Joseph talks about knowing that he'd seen a vision and he knew that God knew it and he couldn't deny it, I think that gives proof again here in verse 33 when he says, Moroni came and that he knew that God had a work for me to do. He knew and he was convinced of what he had seen, and he moved forward with it. Now, that doesn't mean that things were smooth. We see right from the get-go that he's warned about this. In fact, that same at the end of that same verse, 33, that his name should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. So right off the bat, he's warned that he's going to have opposition from others. And that's true in anything you do in the world. It doesn't matter what opinion you choose. There's going to be opposite opinions of it, even if you think you're doing good. And I think that's just a good reminder for us that just because it's a work that God has given us, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy. Yeah, in fact, from our own personal lives, we uh, I just yesterday was looking through um, some of the feedback we've gotten on the podcast um, reviews that have been left just to kind of chart where we're going next and adjust things that we want to adjust to, to meet the needs of people that are listening. Uh, and overwhelmingly, people are so kind and, and considerate and thoughtful in the reviews that they leave. <laughs> but there were a couple that um, were were not very kind. And, uh, and even though I know that there are people that have different feelings and thoughts and and maybe express things in not the kindest of ways, it still kind of stung. Um, And that's, that's such a minor thing, but even something as innocuous as a podcast about scriptures and making the world a better place brings negative reviews. And here's Joseph trying to completely shift the way that we think about our experience and our relationship with God. Which I think brings it back to knowing who has the work for you. It isn't the people around you. 
when you know that you're doing something that God has commissioned you to do, I think that's why Joseph was able to hold so strong was because he knew that it was God's work. It wasn't, he wasn't doing this to please anyone else. And so when you find that work or when you think you found the work and are trying to make it happen, remember who the source that you need to go to, to solidify what you're doing. There's going to be opinions on either side, no matter what you're doing. Um, Later on, this is in verse 46. This is when Moroni comes again and he repeats over again to me the same things as before, he said, and added a caution to tell me, to me, telling me that Satan would try to tempt me. And he says it was in consequence of the indignant circumstances of his father's family. Um, and I like that one. I think that's a very important one for all of us. Not only is there going to be opposition from people that you can see and hear and that type things to you or that boo you or whatever it is, that there's also other forces at work. And I think this teaches us a really good lesson that if we're doing something right, if we're feeling called by God to do something, that Satan is going to be present. Um, Later on in the same verse, verse 46 at the end, he says that Moroni adds, and that I must not be influenced by any other motive than that of building his kingdom. Otherwise, I could not get the plates. So for ourselves, if we are interested in building his kingdom, otherwise, if we're listening to what the work is that God has for us, that Satan is going to try and stop that because he sees the good and he sees what we're building. Well, I like even how Moroni stair steps these these realities of working, right? He tells Joseph you ha- he has a work and immediately lets him know there's going to be opposition. Just because you are about the Lord's work doesn't mean that this is going to be easy. And the first opposition he mentions comes from the people around him. Your name will be had for good and evil. And then the next time he comes, he says, oh, and also you're going to face opposition from the adversary. And so I like that Moroni is kind of explaining, unfolding to Joseph just how difficult this kind of work is. Yeah, you're right. I do like that he he adds that on. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's also going to be this. There's also going to be this. And then there's also going to be this, at least the one I noticed. But he does bring this up later in verse 53. He says, And I was again informed that the time for bringing them forth had not yet arrived, neither would it until four years from from that time. And I thought that triggered me to think, wow, this was a long process. Four years is a long time to wait. And then, you know, we learn in the next verse, he said he was told to go back each year. And for four years, he went and got more instruction and then had to leave the plates there and come home. And that's a long time. I think we can easily look at these however many verses, 70-something verses in this Joseph Smith history, or many of us know the story by heart, that we can easily make it seem or think that this happened quickly. We see in a matter of 10 verses that he has the first vision. He's given the plates. He sees visions and he gets married in between. Wow, that was a quick story. (laughs) Um, But understanding the sequence of events 
the process, the steps to seeing what he needs to be doing, the time that it takes, and the work that it takes to make it happen. Um, He continues on to let us know that in verse 55 and 56, I couldn't notice, help but notice the words laboring. He was laboring with his hands because it was necessary under his limited circumstances. He had a family to provide for. They weren't doing very well, as he reminds us in, as we read, his father's family wasn't doing that well, and he didn't have the means to even really marry Emma. And not to add to that, or to add to that, he talks about the affliction from his family when his, when his brother Alvin dies. And I think all this coming together can maybe help us see the reality of what our work might look like too. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of ins and outs. And there's also going to be just a lot of normal days and hard days. And some days that you think you question yourself and think, I didn't get anything done today. I wanted to work on this greater thing, but instead I've done nothing (laughs) I know I feel that way a lot. Mm-hmm. Wait, I had all these great things I was going to do. And instead, I that was actually yesterday for me. All I did was feed our children and do the <laughs> dishes. <laughs> I didn't get any external work done. In fact, not to, to overuse old general conference quotes, but... Um, but this to is, you overuse but to them. <laughs> use an old general conference quote. This is Marion D. Hanks uh, from years ago. He says, uh, it was a historian who reminded us that history as usually written is quite different from history as usually lived. If the whole story were told, we should have a duller but juster view of the past and of man. Behind what he called the red facade of war and politics, misfortune and poverty, adultery and divorce, murder and suicide, were millions of orderly homes, devoted marriages, strong loving families, and inspiring examples of goodness, courage, and kindness. In our own communities, in our own neighborhoods, there are many such instances unsung and unreported. Just a reminder that when we look at the highlights of the work that Joseph was asked to do, it seems very miraculous. And it was, but uh, it was also filled with daily small efforts and actions and ups and downs and oppositions and temptations and wrestles and struggles and doubts. And all of that is part of the work. And the humdrum of life that mm-hmm. just is part of being a human. Well, that actually connects with something uh, that I was thinking about as I studied this week. And, and it comes from something I, I heard years ago. Um, a, a brilliant professor once pointed out to me that um, the first four visions of the prophet Joseph Smith correspond pretty clearly with the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. So if you think of the first vision, The first vision was intended to help Joseph develop faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees the Father and sees the Son, and his faith is rewarded and strengthened. Um, If you think of the third vision, the one that's coming next week or the week after that, a couple of weeks, uh, when John the Baptist comes to Joseph and Oliver, that vision, of course, brings the authority to baptize. And so that's the third principle of the gospel, baptism by immersion. Then the fourth vision, Peter, James, and John, that come and bring the Melchizedek priesthood, allows Joseph to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, And so the second vision then 
um, based on that connection should be associated with repentance. And in fact, that's exactly what it is. Now, this is one place where the extra resources that we mentioned last week, if you go to your gospel library app and you look up, I think it's Church History and Restoration, Doctrine and Covenant Study, the link is in last episode, we'll put it in this episode as well. But this is where some of those resources help you because what Joseph writes here in this account isn't everything that happened, it can't be. The uh, Moroni was with him all night long and so there's more than is just what's written here. And Joseph, in fact, talks about some of the other uh, things that he learned from Moroni in different tellings of this story. And other people that have heard the story from Joseph explain it too. As one example, verse 33, this account says that Moroni called him by name and said, he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me and that his name was Moroni and that God had a work for me to do. But in an earlier account, Joseph says, quote, that, well, that Moroni told him, quote, the Lord had forgiven me my sins. Oliver Cowdery said the exact same thing, that when Moroni came to the prophet Joseph Smith, the first thing he said to Joseph was, your sins are forgiven. And that fits because you remember in this story, Joseph is very concerned about his sins. He's a teenager and he's been wrapped up in teenage foibles, um, and he's very concerned that three years ago, when he had that incredible vision, that he hasn't lived up to the mantle or the feeling of one who had been called of God as he had been. And so he takes all of that stress and that pain and that guilt with him into this experience with Moroni. And then, as you mentioned, Krista, he goes to get the plates and there uh, he's not worthy to receive the plates. And he has to go back four years in a row to get the plates because he's not prepared yet. He's not worthy yet. He, he, he makes, takes time. And what I drew from this is that if we are to understand what our work is, we have to understand that while we are doing what God wants us to do, while we are working on A, B, or C, or whatever project or, or mission or assignment is that he has given us, he is working on us. He works on us to change us, to help us grow, to uh, buff out the rough patches and to add in to the gaps, the places that we're missing. And so while he may assign us a, a calling or a responsibility or a ministry, we have to remember that God's calling, assignment, and ministry is our eternal life and our salvation, our growth and our development. And that's a really powerful principle for me to understand what I'm considering what my work is. I think that's a really beautiful point in all of this. The scripture that comes to mind is one that we all know um, from Moses, that this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. God's work is us. And although he wants us to be a part of his work and he's going to use us to do his work, he is extremely invested in our well-being and who we are and very interested in helping us see that as well. And I love that we see that in this example. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this thought might be a little bit tangential to that, but I think it fits. Um, when Moroni comes to Joseph Smith, he quotes scripture to him to help him understand just the magnitude of this work that he's giving him. Um, the, one of the famous scriptures that he quotes is the prophecy of Malachi that Elijah will come again. This prophecy is incredible. Joseph, I think it was Joseph Fielding Smith that said uh, the entire gospel could be contained in this one prophecy. 
And it shows up in every book of Scripture. It's in the Old Testament, Malachi. Jesus quotes it in the New Testament and in the Book of Mormon. Uh, it's in Doctrine and Covenants, section 2. It was added to the Doctrine and Covenants much later on, but this prophecy is section 2 in the Doctrine and Covenants, and it's here in the Pearl of Great Price in Joseph Smith's history. But that's not the only thing he quotes. He quotes all of these prophecies, but as you look at them, all of them are about this work that um, is gritty. Um, Malachi, the way that it's quoted to Joseph, uh, the prophecy is that Elijah will come and plant seeds. But as we all know, seeds take time to grow, takes time to nurture. He's going to plant in the hearts of the children, promises made to the father. But planting isn't necessarily yielding yet. And so there's a there's an, an indication there that there's work to be done. Um, the prophecy in Isaiah 11 is also about growth. And if you're careful and you go back and read Isaiah 10 before you read Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about this tree that's growing out of the stem, or a better translation, the stump of Jesse. And if you read the chapter before, it's a chapter about destruction. And so we have this image that here's this stump that's been cut off, but out of the stump comes um, this great prophecy of Christ and the servant in his hands and the restoration that's going to come. And so I love that even the scriptures that Moroni quotes to Joseph indicate um, that there's work to be done, that there's patience needed, uh, that it's going to be gritty, daily, tiring work, but that it has been foretold by prophets for thousands of years, and it is indeed the work of God. Well, and if we read what that prophecy says, which that we find in all the scriptures, as Zach just pointed out, I think it really ties all of this together, what we're talking about today. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. I think this fits in to finding our work, that as we turn our hearts to our ancestors, as we come together as a human family to learn and grow from each other, that that just adds so much to God's work, that that's part of what it is, that we can find out more about who we are and what our work is as we study and learn about the people that came before us. And just to end with a quote from President Nelson, Ask your Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ how he feels about you and your mission here on earth. If you ask with real intent, over time, the Spirit will whisper the life-changing truth to you. I promise you that when you begin to catch even a glimpse of how your Heavenly Father sees you and what he is counting on you to do for him, your life will never be the same. And that was certainly true for Joseph, as we found out this week in all that he had to do. But he knew his purpose because God had told him what he needed to do, and he was ready to be a part of that work. Thanks for listening. We hope that our study together helps you answer that question for yourself. What is God's work for me? We'll see you next week. Thank you.